Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Good afternoon, everybody. Malcolm Teasdale here, aka the, the Travel Addict from Destin, Florida. And with me today is Mike Laird from the United Kingdom. Now, he is six hours ahead of me, so I'm keeping him up fairly late. Well, it's not that late. Uh, maybe keeping him out of a pub or something. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us, Mike. Before we get started here, Mike, to keep your interest, everybody here, is an adventurer, but I will almost class him as an extreme adventurer. Stay tuned, everyone. Uh, you're going to learn more about him. Mike, are you there? Hello. Hello, Malcolm. And listeners, thank you very much indeed for having me on board. Yes, yeah, super pleased to be here. Looking forward to the chat. All right. I found out a lot about you from your website, Jock and the Beanstalk, as opposed to Jack and the Beanstalk. So I'm going to ask you some questions about that. Uh, but you're living in um, England right now. Uh, I'm dying to get back there, by the way, because I want to visit my sister in the, the Cotswolds. She lives there. So I'm looking forward to when I can get out of town again. Now, I read about what you do. And yeah, I do adventure traveling, but you do it to the next level, which I would call extreme endurance travel, if you wish. I'm going to start off with the basic exercise of walking. Now, this is not walking around the block where you live, but you've done a few epic trails in your life. Pilgrim's Way, uh, walked along Hadrian's Wall, not along the wall, but that area, and a couple of others. Tell me about a couple of those uh, trips you made, but on your feet. Sure, absolutely. Um, I've always enjoyed going out for a stroll, as I call it. Um, the lengths depend. Uh, it depends upon how much time I have and uh, whether I'm with somebody else or whether I'm on my own. Sometimes it's a, a gentle wander across England. So at its narrowest point, that's only 100 or so miles. You can do it in four or five days quite uh, leisurely. Um, or it might be a slightly more extreme walk, uh, for example, from the top of Canada up to the magnetic North Pole, which is about 600 miles and in very different conditions. Yeah. Did you walk or did you sort of ski? Yeah, that one was a complete mixture, to be honest, Malcolm. Uh, it depended upon the depth of snow, whether you were on ice, whether you were going up an incline, whether you were going across uh, an ice field with pieces of ice the size of a small house, to be honest. So sometimes walking, sometimes skiing. Okay, but when you're walking, Mike, did you have your skis on the back? Did you carry it? Yes, yeah, sure. You're you're pulling a big sled. Yeah, you can put six feet long skis on top of it. Um, it's your life support system that you're pulling behind you. It's got everything on it that you need to survive. Yeah. Okay. But you actually reached the magnetic North Pole, right? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So that was 27 days walking, yeah. And walking. Seven days walking. Now, it may seem like a stupid question here, but eventually nightfall is going to happen. You have a tent with you. So you just pitch a tent, whatever terrain sure. you could hook it up to, right? Yep. Yeah. And you need food as well. 
so yeah uh, there's no uh, i don't know what the favorite uh, food stores are uh, over in britain these days but you couldn't just stop somewhere, pick up some food, and like we have a burger tonight. No, it's just you sure, look you at everything in your backpack. No, you can't go to a KFC's, a Wendy's, or a Seven Eleven. Probably a good thing. <laughs> you should be eating that stuff anyway for a trip like this. Well, that that's intriguing. But you must have calculated this uh, quite a lot because you you figured out how long it would take you if you walk so so many miles a day and you, you figured all that. Now you've done this stuff uh, a few times, but you've walked these distances not just once, but a few times, you did Pilgrim's Way, which is mm-hmm. in the southern part of England, Canterbury to, um, remind me. Winchester. Okay, Winchester, yeah. And that's a few miles as well, right? Uh, that must be a pretty Yeah, two, 250 miles, something like that. 250 miles. I misread this on your website. They mentioned John O'Groats to Land's End or vice versa. And I think he never walked that. It's over 600 miles. But then I realized you, t- you, you biked it, right? I did, I did bike it, and if I may correct you, it's about 1,100 miles. Is it really? Yeah. It's, oh, it's I, was going to say, I was going to say, Mike, um, uh, the crow says it's 603 miles. So ah, far, okay. However, you're, you're doing all these uh, yeah, turns. Yeah. 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 But that's an incredible amount of miles per day. Isn't it? On the yeah, bike. it took me it took me eleven or twelve days to do it. Which, when you're doing it solo and unsupported, yeah. so I don't mean you don't have a car following you or carrying mm-hmm. your kit and everything. You're carrying everything on your bike and sleeping at the side of the road or in a campsite. You're either cooking your own food on a stove or you're stopping off in a pub or a bar or a restaurant on the way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that took me that took me eleven days. That was that was hard doing a hundred a day on a, on a heavy bike. It's yeah, not. I was going to say a road race. Yeah, and you've got to eat well uh, because you need the nutrients in your body to be able to do this. I'm assuming you lost a bit of weight in the process doing this, or or, or you, you, I don't know. But it's uh, it's quite a long uh, uh, bike ride, isn't it? It is, Malcolm. No, it's it's a fair comment. Um, I'm a guy who weighs about 210, um, so I'll speak in uh, pounds to make yep. it easy yep. for all uh, listeners, because, of course, in Europe, we work in pounds and kilos. Kilos, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I weigh about 210, and on any of my trips, um, my weight goes up and down. I, I'm quite lucky with that, really, yeah. being a guy in my early 50s, um, you know, to be able to shift my weight. Um, but, yeah, I, I notice it. So I'm quite happy to put weight on before a trip, and yep. by the time I come back, uh, I'm usually a few pounds lighter, sometimes 20, 25 pounds like Yeah, that's extraordinary. Yeah, I could imagine the amount of calories you burn each day, whether it's walking or biking. Mm. And, of course, you get to see the landscape. Now, obviously, when you're biking, you can't go on the motorway. You you couldn't go up the M6, right? Or, no, absolutely no, not. No, they'd turf you off that. But I just wondered, <laughs> across my mind here, like you just ah, time to stop for the night. Let's pull over, pitch a tent on the side of the road. I mean, that, that sounds all well and good. You wouldn't want to do, do it where I live in the United States and many places, um, but you just pitched the tent and did anyone like the police combined and knock on the door and said, is anyone in there? What are you doing here? Or like, <laughs> I, I have had the police stop me in various countries asking what I'm doing, what's my intention, yeah. but also am I well, you know, um, I am very pro police and I think generally police women and police uh, men uh, are um, very appropriate. Yeah. And, um, Sometimes they, they are genuinely concerned about your safety and your well-being. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, when I was out on the ice in Russia, sometimes a policeman actually came to me on a skidoo because he could see 
me lighting a fire on the ice from the yeah. shore. And he traveled five or six miles out from a town because he could see someone lighting a fire on the ice. And he came out to see what I was doing. And I was huddled up in my sleeping bag on the ice, cooking up some food. And I was perfectly well. And it was great. Was there a language barrier? Because, he, you know, I, I speak, in Russia. I mean, how do you communicate when he's trying to ask you, what are you doing out here? And you said, well, I'm sure. camping. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my, my Russian is very rudimentary, but I can say, Michael, which means my name is Michael. Ya tourist. Yeah. I'm a tourist. Ya Shotlandits. I'm from Scotland. These things and a little bit of what I call tooth enamel, displaying a smile, yeah. your, showing your intentions as friendly, those get you through the rest of the language barrier. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. When was the last time you were in Russia, by the way? Just curious. Uh, the last time that I was there was uh, two years ago, but I visited nine times, and my longest visit has been five months. Okay. You must have some – the reason I brought this up, because I went to St. Petersburg, I would say, a couple of years ago, and I stayed overnight there. I looked at the U.S. travel website, and they said, don't go there. They just – the USA and the Russia were having a bit of a spat at the time. They they, they closed a consulate in uh, St. Petersburg. I said, why? So I looked at the uh, the UK travel website, looked at the Canadian one, and I said, yeah, nothing wrong. So I went there anyway, uh, much to people's dismay here, and I thought it was great. The people were nice, hospitable, mm-hmm. with the exception of the immigration officers, but they're always like that. You know, sort of no sense of humor. And but it, it, there's and now I went to St. Petersburg, which is a, a superb city. But you're way out in the boonies, right? How far east did you go in Russia? Okay, um, so let me position this for uh, our American audience. Russia has eleven time zones. Yep. It is huge. I don't think there's another country in the world with eleven. Um, I went eight time zones east of Moscow, and Moscow is two time zones east of London. Yeah. Um, So I think I crossed um, nine of the Russian time zones, quite far east. And uh, I was in a place uh, called uh, Siberia. I was going to say, yeah, I thought you must be in Siberia by then. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It's it's a very large area. Um, It's notorious for being very warm in summer because it's inland and far from the sea. Yeah. But equally, it's notorious for being exceptionally cold in winter. Yes. And it, between the two seasons, it can easily swing 70 degrees centigrade. Really? Yeah. That's, a, that's amazing. It is. If we're looking at the extremes, I think the coldest ever recorded in Siberia is minus 69, and the warmest is plus 45. Wow. That's but those are the extremes. How, how were you traveling, by the way? How, how... Um, the way that I got there was to fly from uh, Great Britain over to Moscow, yep. which is an easy flight, yep. connect, to play, connect on a plane at Moscow airport and fly out to a city called Irkutsk. Yep. And Irkutsk is a, it's a large city. It's the capital of Siberia. It's got 600,000 people. Yep. And uh, I spent one or two nights in Irkutsk, uh, sorting out my equipment, uh, relaxing, getting some fresh food in a supermarket. And then uh, I got a guy to give me a lift in a four by four down to the edge of the lake. And I set off. Man, oh man. I always thought about taking that hop across um, from Anchorage to Vladivostok. I I wonder if you can still do that trip today. I just wondered about that. There, there, There are distinct challenges. Mm-hmm. But my understanding is that if you do it by air, 
there are one or two airlines, including Air Alaska, so an American-owned airline. Um, you can, at certain times of the year, make make the flight. Well, I tell you, it's quite something. I, I've been to Moscow myself. I really, I was there during the final days of the Soviet Union, and there, it was a lot of changes going on, as you can imagine, during that time. And then I went to St. Pete's, um, but I would like to go to other places uh, more obscure than that. And it did cross my mind to take the um, Trans-Siberian train. And that must be a, a super trip. Like a, a train's supposed to be pretty decent. I don't know. I, I am really. It's in my brain cells. I haven't got down to seriously looking at it, but I wouldn't mind trying that. Well, it is. It is fantastic. So the Trans Siberian. It does have branch lines, but let's just think about the main route. So it does go from St. Petersburg, where you have been. Yeah. In let's let's just roughly position that in the northwest of the current Russian Federation. Yeah. And the train would then come down through um, Moscow yep. and then start heading east across the great Russian steppe all yep. the way through Siberia and all the way to Vladivostok, which you've also mentioned. Wow. And it, it is amazing. Now, there are different classes of trains. So this depends upon the experience and your wallet and how many bucks you've got to spend on your trip. Got it. Now, how long does that take to say from... To, to, to get across Russia to... Blame. Okay, so uh, you can make the trip effectively as long or as short as you want, All right. depending upon how many times you want to get on and off the train. Yeah. So you can elect just to buy uh, a ticket and go from St. Petersburg direct to Vladivostok without yeah. getting off the train. But I would say for any tourist or any uh, adventure traveller, you're going to actually miss out on a lot of the experience if you just sit on the train. Yeah. But I, th I think you can do it that way in about six days or so. Um, my uh, recommendation to people is to, to give it a go. Absolutely. British and Americans are slightly nervous about going to Russia because of the language barriers. We, and when I say we, I mean, let's, let's just say roughly the Western world, some of us learn a bit of Spanish at high school, some of us learn a bit of French at high school, or a bit of German, or a bit of a foreign language. And we can take a stab at going to lots of countries, whether they're in Central and South America, whether they're in uh, other parts of Europe, whether they're in Central Africa. Um, but going to Russia is a whole different ballgame and people get nervous about it. Yeah. But Russians are engaging and lovely and wonderful, and it's not always what we think it no, is. I know. it's what Some people read this stuff on the news, and you know, but when I met the people, I was going, they said, what on earth do you want to go there for? It's nuts. I don't have a problem with it. No. Uh, so we've got to have that sort of bravery. Not bravery, but we don't worry about that. Adventure spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, excellent, excellent. So that's probably on my bucket list. Overused term, by the way, bucket list. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I would like to find time to do that uh, uh, one day. Yeah. So you've done walking, you've done biking, you've done skiing in all these sort of wonderful places. But what you do get to see is nature at its best, right? Which Absolutely. Fantastic. Now, you, obviously, because of what you do, you're away from the crowds. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a problem with that. Now, I found, this is me, I'm, I live in a beach here in Florida, but it's crowded right now because it's tourist season. But I get more enjoyment now of going to places and just seeing nature for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, re more, more recently, I was in the uh, wilderness of Mongolia. I was in one of the, the yurts or the jurs there. 
camping there. It's fantastic, unbelievable scenery, and you just can't describe it to people. I think you went there as well, didn't you, Mongolia? Yeah, I did. I took a train up from China, yeah, about 10 years ago. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, the capital city, Ulaanbaatar, is quite, uh, quite modern. And the big big place in town is they got an Irish pub there, which they do in most places on the planet, right? They do. This, um, but you are totally correct there, Malcolm. In almost every city in the world, you can find a bar that purports to be an Irish bar or pub. Yeah, exactly. There's only one place I've been to that didn't have one, and that was Lhasa, Tibet. It's almost understandable, that is. But, it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> anyway, well, that's, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Um, now, you've also mentioned you've got some other things on the go. And did I read somewhere you do or have done lecturing on cruise ships? Yes, um, I have joined um, several cruises as a, a lecturer. You can join generally as a, what they call a, a port lecturer. Yeah. So, for example, you were taking a cruise out of Florida yep. and you were going around, let's say, Grand Cayman and the Bahamas and places like that. If you were a lecturer who had specific knowledge and, of course, uh, folders of photographs that were of interest so that you could get people excited about their holiday, their vacation and where they're going to touch, you can do that. Yeah. Also, they sometimes just want people who've done less common things, people who've done extremely um, challenging adventures, undertakings, whether it's rowing the Atlantic, climbing Everest, or skiing across Lake Baikal. Yeah, the special interest of subjects there, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and I've been doing that um, for, for, for some time now, and – I've just got my first gig this year. I've been asked to join one of the cruise lines in the Caribbean for two weeks. Nice. Yeah, they just started, like, just two or three days ago. They're sailing yeah. out to St. Martin, so I'm just going down to St. Martin, and it goes to uh, the BVI and uh, the Dutch territories there. So, oh, okay, I better start thinking of what I'm going to talk about. Well, I know I'm going to talk about the destinations and stuff like that, but it's a cool thing. It's a cool thing. So, it's wonderful. Yeah, but the thing is, the cruise line said everyone who comes on board has to be vaccinated, which is a good thing. I've been vaccinated, so it. Yep. Uh, my question was, well, as a crew and all the rest of the passengers, apparently there are. So that that's a good thing. So I feel, I feel safe to to that degree. So it's sort of starting back up again. The little travel stuff now since we were locked down last year. I bet you're yeah. happy about that, aren't you? Like you think? Very, very happy. Um, I had quite a few plans some single um, and some with my partner. Um, we had plans to go to Sudan and to Algeria, so oh, yeah. some less visited locations. Yeah. Um, but what you have to do is make the best of what you've got. So uh, just similar to people living in the United States of America, we in the United Kingdom, we have lots of opportunities, whether it's in uh, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, England. We've got a hugely diverse country with whatever you want from beaches to waterfalls to gorges to canyoning to whatever you want. And even if you just want to go and eat at a, a nice restaurant or if your passion is golf or reading or playing chess or whatever it might be, look for it at home. Don't be despondent. No, it is exactly. There's so, there's so much in Britain. And to be honest, when I moved, over to the States many, many years ago. I'd never been to Scotland until I went back for vacation one year, then went to Scotland, <laughs> which was absolutely great. Edinburgh is one of my favorite places, just a great city. And then went up to St. Andrews. I did get to play the old course, but it was it was fantastic. We're heading north into Invergarry, 
So it, it was just a, a, a great trip there and uh, went to see the uh, Dalwini distillery there. But all uh, good. Uh, still plenty to see. Man, I love the countryside there. The English countryside is absolutely fabulous. So um, as far as education, um, you, you've done all this stuff and you do lecturing on cruises, but I think you said you went to o Oxford, did you? Uh, I didn't go to Oxford University. I've lectured at Oxford University. Oh, I see. Yes, okay. And Moscow University. And, and Moscow University, yes. I, I did a series of lectures there for young doctors on expedition medicine. Really? Well, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. It's a, a very particular skill set. Yeah. Um, and people who go off into the mountains or some of the larger, more northerly national parks in uh, America, yeah. Um, just, you know, I think all travelers need to be aware of how they can help themselves if they need to, yeah. so that they don't have to call 911 or yeah. endanger other people's lives. It's a very useful skill to have. Yeah, yeah, it, it is indeed. And I, I bet you, you know, with my experience in Moscow, yours, it's something that stays with you, doesn't it? Because it's it's quite an unbelievable, the sites to see in Moscow are quite unbelievable there with all the architecture and stuff. Even though I was there in 1990, you could see there was an issue there with people lining up for bread and milk, but it was still the Bolshoi was still open. I'd get a ticket to go there. And just things were operational. There were a couple of nightclubs open there, and uh, it was great. I bumped into the band of Scorpions, who just played the Kremlin for Gorbachev there, and there was the my hotel. <laughs> so it was great. It was great. So yeah, I'd love to go back there one day. Now. One of my favorite pastimes, and I'm going to, is a place I think you may have been to, but you are a master scuba diver. Is that right? Or, or I'm, doctor, or yeah, I'm, what, I'm what's called a master scuba diver trainer. Trainer, absolutely wonderful. And, um, how long have you been at that position, being a, a master scuba diver? Uh, I've, I've been a scuba diver for about 23 years. Okay. Um, but I've been that level, which is a sort of level four instructor. I've been there for about three or four years. Okay, excellent. I never got that far. I'm, I'm an advanced open water and uh, nitrox and national Nat Geo. Uh, Wonderful. And but it's fabulous. And I love scuba diving. And in uh, June, we go to the Turks and Caicos Islands for a month. Yeah, we we go down there quite a bit. And the, the, the scuba diving there is pretty good. And then we're going off to, to Salt Key for a few days and do it there. However, my interest uh, with what you've done with scuba diving goes to Indonesia. Now, you went, you hung out in Bali, right? Mm -hmm. I lived there for a year and uh, worked there as a scuba instructor. Yeah, interesting. I'm trying to. Okay, where did you where did you live in uh, Bali? I lived in a, a medium sized town on the east coast called Chandidasa. Um, fairly simple in terms of. Not many buildings in the the mm. whole town are over about two or three stories. Yeah, everything is beachfront, yeah. very relaxed. A lot of people don't even bother wearing shoes. Yeah. Um, the roads are asphalt. You know, it's it's not a backward place, but it's a very laid back place. You can just walk to the bar in a pair of shorts and flip uh, flip flops and a t shirt. And there'll be a band playing and you can have a cocktail or a beer and it's just so chilled and everything just costs a couple of bucks and there's no stress at all. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I, last time I was there was four years ago. I stayed in Sanua Beach because that's on the southeastern part of the island. It is. 
and you probably uh, know where that is relative to where you were staying. Uh, Kuda Beach, yeah. too crowded. So I stayed in Sonoa. And uh, I, I, the reason I brought this up is because I went diving there myself. And I got to the USS Liberty. But I can't remember the name of the dive company that picked me up at the hotel. I wish I could. But they were really good. And I just remember driving up to a, a dive site there. And we had to carry our kit over rocks to get to the the water going from the, the shore. It was for sure. Um, the USS Liberty is one of the great wrecks to dive in the world. Yes. Um, obviously, it was a, a former US ship. It was torpedoed by the Japanese, I think, in 1942. Yeah. Started taking on water, so it was purposefully beached. They got everything off, including all the people that yep. they needed to. And it sat on the beach for several decades. And then in the mid 60s, during a massive earthquake, it slipped backwards into the sea yeah. and uh, backwards down off a shelf. Uh, part of the part of the hull is only ten feet underwater, yeah. and then the back end of the ship is something like fifty or sixty feet. Yeah. So there's, there's diving there for people of all levels. Oh, exactly. I found that it was actually excellent. And I remember when I was staying there in Sanua Beach, that two doors down from me was a bar slash restaurant. And just for my time there, there was the Beatles tribute band playing there. <laughs> they were Balinese people, right? It was just, it was just great. I thought, what? I've seen them. Oh, you have? <laughs> I've seen them four years later than you, I guess, Malcolm. But yeah, they were fantastic. <laughs> great atmosphere that they called there. And of course, all you know, the Beatles are well known all over the world. But this year, September, I have booked a trip, and you may know where this is. I'm going to a place called Raja Ampat. Of course. And it's supposed to be quite special marine park there. It's not the it easiest place to get to. Have, have you been there yet, or is that something to, you know? I haven't been there. It was actually, and I, I have to take my hat off to you, it was one of my dreams as a dive instructor to, to be paid to go there. <laughs> I, I know quite a few dive instructors who work there. We can yeah. talk offline about that. And... Um, it is now regarded as probably one of the top 10 dive locations in the world yep. in terms of its diversity, but also its preservation and conservation. Exactly. They look and at the, the attention that they pay to make sure that divers and human beings do not damage this environment, right. that it will remain as fresh and pristine as it is now for generations to come. Yeah, that, that's, that's fantastic they do that. And of course, you can't just put uh, sunscreen on you. They they don't want that, uh, a special type of sunscreen. But nope. the same, I don't know, which is a good thing. The same thing, what you said there about preservation, applies to Sipadan and off the coast of Borneo. It's owned by Malaysia. Sipadan's a small yep. volcanic island, but the, the marine life around it is actually spectacular just by quantity of fish. But you can't stay on the island. It's a marine park. And you have to get a permit to go there. They only allow so many visitors uh, a day, and you have to get it quite a bit in advance. Um, but that was spectacular. The other place, though, talking of diving, is Palau, Micronesia. Oh, Palau, Micronesia, yeah. The Federated States of Palau and Yatek. Yeah. Yeah, spectacular. That's the only time, what, Blue Corner, been surrounded by sharks or vicinity i just took video of this it was unbelievable yeah but that's that's probably my favorite thing to do is scuba diving and it's my excuse for for getting out of town periodically i'd go to a place 
well, I got a diving trip to go. I tell my wife that. She said, just go, just go. And uh, I'll see you when you get back. So I'm doing it while I can. And that's what we, that's what we do, right? Absolutely. That's the best thing to do. Yeah. Now, I read something else on your website called Castaway 2000. This is when you spent some time in the Hebrides, out at Hebrides, or where was that? Is that true? Sure. Um, to give you a little bit in on that, um, a very, very early reality TV program, certainly in terms of the United Kingdom and Europe. Yeah. So I was selected for that in 1999. Mm-hmm. And I lived 13 months on a remote island off the northwest coast of Scotland in the Atlantic, facing the full brunt of Atlantic storms in very basic accommodation um, for 13 months. There were 36 men, women, and children on this island with no Wi-Fi, no mobile phones. We had our own livestock to slaughter. We had children to educate. We had crops to tend. We had cows to milk. Um, so for city folk, it was quite an eye-opener, but it was also an outstanding... And people still live there today, right? There are two people who bought the island after the oh. um, program. And, uh, yeah, they have a house, and it's now a private island with no public access. Okay. But when, when you went, there were just residents there, and they were quite... No, when we, went, when we went, it was a deserted island that was acquired. Um, it, it was used for livestock, oh. to be honest. Okay. And um, so there were a couple of hundred sheep and 70 deer. And uh, there was a, a, a farming family on another island who owned it. And the television company leased it from them, I gather, for a yep. year. Wow. That's quite an experience. I mean, that takes a lot of courage to do because you're taking this portion of your life to go and live to a pretty obscure place without the comforts of home, so to speak. Right. So, yeah. Did you, you must have enjoyed the winter as well. I did enjoy it. Um, I actually thought it would be more of a survival-type challenge yeah. than what it transpired to be. Yeah. But that's not to say that I didn't enjoy the year and the people and the challenges that we met. I certainly had challenges yeah. um, in, in my own headspace about myself, about people, about interactions, community, and also, I suppose, being removed from my family, my friends, and my support groups. And I think those are the things which contribute to rounding a person and to making a person. Um, You learn a lot of lessons. You've got to to be strong. You've got to have a strong will to do this. I wasn't always strong, Malcolm. I'm not pretending I was. I had some... Dark, gloomy, difficult days oh, that yeah. helped me through. Yeah. And you know what we went through last year, 2020, is mm. a horrible part of our lives. But my parents were World War II vets. So you can imagine, we live in Coventry. You know what happened to Coventry during World War II? Oh, it was flattened. Flattened, yeah. And so they were fortunate to, to um, survive that. But they didn't like talking about the war a whole lot. And I, I respect that but they must have endured horrible things more so than what we put up with last year, you know, and uh, yeah. it, it, yeah. is what it, it is what it is. So you've also been to uh, Bolivia as well, Amcha. Did you go to the... I, I, I've spent eight weeks as a filmmaker on a very, very adventurous expedition in Bolivia. Yeah. God, that must have been uh, quite spectacular. Yeah. Come across some uh, nasty little critters there, I guess, in the... 
Well, we, we, we came across all sorts of things, including bandits who shot at us and injured one of our people. Came across um, some very large spiders, which were pretty well the size of your hand and could run at great yep. speed. We came across some uh, very toxic snakes, um, waterfalls, uh, rapids, uh, all sorts of challenges, including a highly aggressive carnivorous pig called a peccary which hunts in packs and will happily kill a man. Good God. Well, wow. they kill it's the it's the animal that's responsible for the largest number of human deaths in South America. That is amazing. Like in Africa it's the hippo I believe, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And people yeah. Don't think yeah. about that. Well, that's unbelievable then. Of, of course, you you're in the jungle as well. So you sort of expect some stuff there, right? I I I get that. As far as swimming, and you swim as well, long-distance swimming? Um, I attempted the channel um, with, a, with a friend a few years ago. Yeah. Um, we failed when I was in the water. I got stuck in a current. Um, I wasn't strong enough to swim through it. We'd done, we'd done 21 kilometers out of 32. So for people who work in miles, the shortest distance across the channel is about 22 miles. Yeah. I, th I think we got sort of 14, 15, um, and uh, even though I was still swimming, I had to be pulled out of the water by the ship's captain because if, you're, if your boat is not making progress through the shipping lanes, yeah. you're actually contravening. Yeah, exactly, yeah, I, I get that. Well, so I was des desperately cut up about that. But you have to learn from failure as well as success. Exactly, yeah. You, you can't win every time. It's, it, but the fact is you did it and you tried it and the other side of the corner you could have died right that's very true i've swum huge rivers in the united kingdom i've swum across rivers in south america <clears throat> like the orinoco um i've swum across the mekong in southeast asia yeah so i've been in large rivers with very unpleasant creatures underneath the water. Yeah, so you've, you've had your feet tickled by piranhas in South America. Well, I've been in piranha water, but yep. uh, generally, unless you're bleeding, they're not going to attack you. Yeah, oh, okay, got it. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I get that. Um, and, of course, you mentioned you've been in Mongolia. It's funny how people live in these environments. When I was in the wilderness of Mongolia, I spent the day with a nomadic family, uh, mother, father, and their young child. You know, they invited me into their property. I, I knew I was going there, so I took them some supplies from the local grocery store in Ulaanbaatar, and we chatted. And I said to them, I said, okay, I know the style of life you are living here. You're in the middle of nowhere, and yeah, the scenery is beautiful. And said, so why don't you just go and live in the modern city of Ulaanbaatar? And they said, not a chance. This is, this is with them through the generations of their family. They have an obligation to do it, and they want to do it. They want to be with nature. The funny thing is, so the cattle go out in the morning to graze and they find their own way back in the afternoon and they know what time to come back. It's, it's amazing. And that's just it's, life in the, in the wilderness. It's, it's lovely, Malcolm. You're totally right. It's a, it's a sort of rhythm. It's a, a relationship with nature. It's a symbiosis where humans, nature, animals, everything just works in harmony. It's the way we used to be. Yeah. Or we all came together in huge cities, metropolises, and so on. And I think it's a far simpler, often more peaceful and engaging uh, way 
And more people, I think, are actually finding their way back to what we used to have. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, David Attenborough tries to promote that as well. He's a great guy, by the way. He's still he's still around, and he's still... He is. He's, he's very much an iconic figure now. He even, he even comes out at um, pre-COVID yeah. uh, at some of the biggest music festivals. So you imagine you've got an audience of maybe... Yeah. 300,000 young British, European, and American um, sort of party goers yeah. uh, in, the, in their cut-off hot pants and uh, their vests. Yeah. Um, and David Attenborough comes on stage. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. The biggest name in music. And he is the most revered, the most welcome person. I know. Everyone. They're clapping. I know. It's, it's wonderful. His programs are great. And sometimes I just lay in bed at night and I'd put a, a YouTube video on by him or something like that just to watch. And I find it sort of just relaxing. And I thought, what? He's got the best job in the world. But he's he's worked at it. But he's... Uh, he's, he's he has. He's, he's, he's been in that kind of role since the 1950s. Yeah. I believe he's now in his early 90s. <clears throat> he started his broadcasting career. Yeah. Uh, I think in his very early twenties. Yeah. So he's been he's been hugely influential. And it's lovely the fact that a man of that stature, and there are many others, male and female, um, who are using their good fortune and their influence to create positive intentions, positive change, positive culture uh, and behavior. Um, in uh, our current and our future generations. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What a guy. I used to like Steve Irwin as well when I used to watch his programs. I remember just waking up one morning and turn on the TV and some bad news from Australia, Steve Irwin just got I know. killed. What a fluke that is. I mean, we've both been diving with manta rays around and all, all fish like this, and it's just a fluke. Anyway. Yeah. A horrible, tragic accident to be whacked across the chest by the sting of a manta or a stingray. Yeah, desperate. He ran an amazing operation down in the southeastern states yeah. of Australia. Yeah. Uh, he had his own zoo, which protected and nurtured uh, species. Um, and he and he himself inherited that from his parents. Yeah. And I myself, I had been down to his zoo. Um, I can't remember, around about 2005. And I got to hand feed uh, a tortoise called Harriet. Yeah. And Harriet um, had actually belonged to Charles Darwin. So I hand fed a tortoise approaching 200 years of age. Any of your readers can check this out online. Oh, I know they live forever. Yeah. It, it, Harriet, I think, died around about the age of 200 but for me to actually feed, uh, I can't remember, a piece of lettuce, carrot, or cucumber to a beast that was owned by Charles Darwin was quite unbelievable. I've got to remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's right up there in my, in my life experiences. Yeah. I, just the, the, the interaction with, with animals. It's like, like going to Rwanda and uh, being up close and personal with gorillas i had mine in mongolia had a, a vulture on my arm six feet from his big this thing had an eight foot wingspan but they're the nomad's best friends right absolutely yeah and they help each other which was absolutely fabulous on your website it's funny because i i just looked at this today top 100 
And I'm curious here because I, on my website, I have my list of favorites and not so favorites. I'm a bit cynical, by the way. I just, but you have your uh, top 100 there. And your number one is uh, flying in a Chinook in Afghanistan. Sure. Okay. No problem at all. Um, I wanted to be a war photographer uh, for a long time. And I applied to the British Ministry of Defense. Yep. So I suppose that would be equivalent to the American Defense Department. Yep. And um, I, I, I wrote to them, I emailed them, I phoned them, and they more or less just said, go away. And they said, uh, yeah, we're not yeah. interested, we're not taking you. So what I decided to do was uh, I grew a bigger beard than I have now, and I've, I've, got, I've got an okay beard. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, th- this is 15 years ago. So okay. I, yep. I grew a big beard. Yep. And I put on a shalwar kameez, which is the standard gentleman's uh, outfit in uh, Pakistan. Right. So it's a, a loose linen shirt and large baggy pants. Yeah. And uh, then what I did was I flew from London into Islamabad. Yeah. Um, so one of the principal cities up in northern Afghan, uh, northern uh, Pakistan. Yep. And I spent one or two days there just kind of finding my feet, looking around, getting comfortable or less comfortable. I'm not quite sure. And uh, then I decided to uh, hire a guy in a car. And uh, he drove me up through what is called the Northwestern Frontier Province, which is a fairly lawless area. And aspects of what happens there are quite tragic. So whilst there are many, many dear and good people and uh, there are also the 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 aspect of society who uh, are trading human lives there's people trafficking there's drug yeah. trafficking there's lots of yeah. nasty aspects as well which is typical of borders in many countries many regions anyway so i made my way through there i got up to a place called torkum and torkum is the the border crossing into afghanistan yep and even there, people were saying to me, you know, they saw, like, I've got a British European passport. And they were like, um, are you sure you want to go through? Because yeah. aren't, aren't you at war with the people on the other side of this sort of fence? And I was like, it's fine. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm going through. And okay, so I dropped through. And I got through to the other side. Um, and then I was, you know, the reality was, I'm in what's called the Wacan Corridor where what we in Britain and Europe call wacky-backy. It's a a major drug-growing area. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. The Wacan Corridor is where wacky-backy comes from. (laughs) um, I appreciate the other areas of the world uh, have drugs supplied by other countries, but that's where some of ours comes from. So um, I made my way down to Jalalabad, and Jalalabad in 2007 was an exceptionally dangerous area yeah. and unassisted white Christian to be traveling through. Yeah. So it was very much a case of keep your head down, don't yeah. say too much, don't be obvious, just just do, do your best to blend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I changed buses and I didn't have to say much, you know, I, I, I can speak again some rudimentary words of Arabic. Yeah, okay. So, Good. Yeah. So I got onto a bus and uh, handed over some cash, said to the driver, I'd like to to go to Kabul. And uh, then when I got on the bus, I just pretended to be asleep. Um, I got off in Kabul and uh, I had uh, a phone number of uh, a safe house where journalists from 
everything from the, you know, the Wall Street Journal, um, the New York Times, and then the British big publications as well. So the the Times in London or the Observer or whatever, and all our um, big broadsheet uh, publications. And uh, a guy rocked up uh, on a motorbike. I got on the back and I was driven to uh, a safe house. And then one or two days later, I went for a series of, let's call them prolonged interviews at a, a, a military base. Um, and after I'd been through two or three days of this, they took me into a room and in front of me, I had my MOD pass, Ministry of Defense uh, Security pass, but I also got a United Nations pass, um, oh. a NATO pass, and what's called an ICE pass. So I got every single piece of journalistic clearance that I needed. Wow. I just wonder, I, I can imagine that interview and uh, you sat down, they, they come up to ask you, so, so tell me what you're doing here. And <laughs> why were you, because what the country was going through, I guess it's sort of suspicious. Uh, I don't know, but there's always, I mean, you were, you've been in Syria as well. And that cup, that, that's another. I've been to Syria, Libya, Afghanistan, Pakistan, a lot of the countries that have previously been labelled as being on the axis of evil. And whilst I am very pro-America, very pro-Great Britain, and very pro-anything in the world that is right, I also understand that those countries are filled with good people, well as some less good people. Um, And the fact that, I don't want to turn this into a political discussion, but it, it needs to be balanced. Um, those countries are, from a travel perspective, highly worth visiting with great culture, yeah. great people, great food, great interest, and a lot of hospitality. Yeah, exactly. You've probably had this said to you before when you told people where you're going. They say, what on earth do you want to do that? Or like the, when I told people I was going to uh, Bhutan one year, they said, what is that? I said, well, it's a country landlocked. But I've never been to such a friendly place with people who are just so hospitable, but it's such a dramatic country. The scenery there is unbelievable. It hasn't moved forward much for the last couple of centuries because they don't want it. They're pretty happy the way they live, you know? We talked about that before. So, yeah, I mean, you've got some uh, quite good experiences there, uh, Mike, and uh, you've got them documented on your website. And I'm just going through through the list here. It's, It's quite unbelievable. In fact, I was talking to someone recently. Uh, what was his name? But he spent time in uh, North Korea. Um, he was talking to uh, uh, entrepreneurs to, to help them uh, along in business. And he was invited there with another b- bunch of people. And what he did before he left, he sent a bunch of flowers to Kim. <laughs> I think he had the, he had the n- n- not the nerve, but the, the audacity to do that. Anyway, he, he said, no, he encouraged people to uh, still go to North Korea. It's not one of the places I would go to. You know, I, it could be in one of these countries. And I'm thinking, someone is going to accuse me of something that I didn't do, and I'm in trouble. You see, that's it. Um, so probably not worth Take a risk. You've taken huge risk where you've been, but you're still alive to talk about it today, right? That's, Absolutely. That's the main thing. Now, you've also been to Ethiopia. That, is, that does interest me because on my list to do this year was going to Namibia to go to the oldest desert in the world in Namibia and stay at Windhoek a couple of days and go out into the boonies and just camp. 
Well, on the way back, I thought about calling it at uh, Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. What's your experience there? Because I understand that it's, uh, the capital city is quite modernized now. Is that Would that be a correct statement? There is. So, okay, if, if, you, if you were to look at Addis Ababa, and the last time I was there was quite a few years ago, but um, Addis Ababa is uh, a huge city, even in African terms. And you have to think about the, let, let's call it the, 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 the primary city, but then the outlying areas. I don't know the population off the top of my head, but I would take a wild stab at um, the, the main part of Addis maybe being sort of 12, 14 million, oh, and yeah. possibly the outlying areas maybe reaching 20 plus. Yeah. You know, it is a huge sprawling metropolis. Um, now, it's very interesting for a couple of reasons. Addis still maintains an area called Mercato, which means market. Um, and it is the largest market by ground area in all of Africa. Yeah. And Africa is 51 countries. There's as many countries in Africa as there are states. In America. Um, I'm not saying that's a competition in terms of size or diversity or uh, anything else. But it, it just gives people an understanding because um, perhaps everyone's not fully aware of even some of the, the country names. Yeah. Who, for example... Um, other than extreme travelers, would know the countries of Benin or Togo or Guinea-Bissau off the top of their head. Most people will know Ethiopia, Tunisia, Algeria, Egypt, uh, places like that. But they might not know an awful lot of the smaller or less visited countries. And of course, people like yourself, Malcolm, and a lot of your listeners, uh, these are the places that are the most interesting, the most alluring, exactly. visited, and as you yourself said, it's an overused word, but on their bucket list. Yeah, ex- exactly. Even the Gambia has rejoined the Commonwealth now. It just, yeah, so it, it, life goes on, and you know, I told that someone, Gambia, what's yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's it's all right, but our paths have not crossed physically, but. I know you've been to Angkor Wat in Siem Reap, Cambodia. You've been to Thailand a few times. I love all these places, and I'm fortunate to be able to talk about it on, on cruise ships as well, which is enjoyable because I'm able to portray the experience to people to get them interested in seeing how the rest of the world works. I think it's important, and uh, and you're the same with your website. It's very informative, by the way. So. All right, here's a, here's a straightforward question. What's your favorite place on the planet? Peru. Didn't need to think about it. 100% Peru. If you would like to go up a mountain, go on a railway, go and see some less visited islands, uh, play golf, drink wine, eat yep. good food, um, hang off the back of a, a train on a, an interesting yep. railway, go and see some uh, ancient ruins, go and see um, ancient civilizations. Yep whatever it is you want to do in Peru. And it's cheap. Most people speak English or Spanish. Uh, it's friendly. It's engaging. It is fabulous. Yeah. I went to Lima because I was working at the time, and um, I had to put some technology into a, a top security prison, which wasn't particularly nice, I may add. you know. But I... That, that aside, I knew I was getting in, into, but I found the people to be uh, very nice there. Good country, good people. And so is most of Latin America. 
But okay, that's your favorite. What about the sort of place you've been to and you'd maybe think twice about going there again or? There's nowhere on this planet, even though that I've had some challenging times. So for example, yeah. I've, I've had run-ins with the military and police in Beirut. I've been in prison in Ethiopia. I've been in prison in Iraq. Yeah. Um, but those are still countries that you can always find goodness in. Exactly. I've had an issue. Let's just call it an issue. Um, the good always outweighs the bad and the opportunity to engage with people in a positive way and look for good things. And, it, you know, when you're a foreigner in the least visited country, everyone says, come to my house, come and have some food, come and meet my family. And it's not a hoax. It's usually great. Yeah. And I want to say to people, Malcolm's experienced, Mike's experienced it, Go for it yourselves. There we go. And I just remember saying to someone a few years ago, because I moved to Singapore and um, because of work, I was trying to get the business going in Southeast Asia. So I made the decision to, to go to uh, uh, stay in Singapore. And someone said, made the comment of, why do you want to go to these third world countries? And I thought, wait a minute. Singapore is one of the most affluent countries on the planet. No crime, spotlessly clean. Yeah. Superb healthcare system. Yeah. It is, you know, it's the way many of us would like to, like to live. It's a very expensive, but it's yeah. like, and the, well, Singapore also has the highest IQ in the world as well now. So, I mean, wow. yeah. So there's a, there's a lot to lot we find out while we're, when we're on the road, and uh, or we learn a lot before we even go to these places. And it's surprising to a lot of people; they just don't know because it never enters their head. So. But it, it, it's fun. This is all. This is what we do, Mike, and uh, we enjoy it. And you know, we prob we'll probably die on the job one day, so to speak. I hope so, Malcolm. I absolutely I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, look. Um, you mentioned you wanted uh, something at the beginning of today where you wanted to mention something from your past or career. Go ahead. See. Tell us what you want us to know. In the not-too-distant future, so in February next year, I am going to be taking a group of complete novices out onto Lake Baikal in Siberia to give them the opportunity uh, of a complete polar expedition uh, to cross the surface of a lake whilst it's frozen in amazing temperatures, with amazing scenery, with great safety and uh, a huge safety net following them. So if people are interested, go and have a look at www.crossingbycow.com and drop me an email. It'd be nice to see you. Yeah, that, that sounds like a hell of an experience. There's something about Lake Bacal. Is it sort of one of the, one of the deepest? Like, I, I don't know. There's something, something if about If I was to give you a few stats there, Malcolm, yeah, it's a great question. Thank you. Um, it's 400 miles long from its north to its south side. It's got more water in it than all of the American Great Lakes put together. That's and it has 22% of the fresh water on our planet in this lake. You've got to be kidding me, really? 22%. It is an absolutely staggering fact. It is huge. Wow. 
Very interesting, Mike. You've, you've done a lot. And this is, uh, I'm going to go back on your website uh, tomorrow and take a bit more look at it. If I've got any questions about something, I'm going to email you. So, you know, just be an absolute pleasure. Where, where can. Now, they can find you on your website, uh, jockandthebeanstalk.com, right? And that, that's your website. Did you tell me what, you, what you're going to be up to next? What's your next thing to do? after today the next thing i'm hoping to do is uh because we're probably still going to be in lockdown um Mm -hmm. i am to go off and do uh uh 550 mile walk across scotland taking in everything from distilleries to golf courses to rugby grounds to waterfalls to sea to cliffs um i've lived in my country uh most of my life I've spent a huge amount of time outside of my country. Equally, I now realize there's still so much I haven't seen. If, for example, you've lived in Florida, I'll bet there's plenty you haven't seen. If you live in Wyoming, if you live in Idaho, you know, it doesn't matter which of the states you live in or which of the regions of the United Kingdom that you live in or any other part of Uh, your own country, um, your own region of the world. There's so much that we can still do and explore during lockdown and thereafter and that we can enjoy with our friends, family, and loved ones. Exactly. Yeah. And that Scotland trip uh, will be awesome. The only piece of advice I've got for you about this trip is if you go to a distillery, make it at the end of the day. I think that's very <laughs> valuable advice. Don't go to advice. one for breakfast, if you know what I mean. You've got a long walk. Very out. valuable advice, especially. I do love a drink. All right. I have a degree of common sense, so I, I get that. <laughs> but, Mike, it's been great having you on. I appreciate that. And keep in touch, buddy. I'd like to know more about your escapades. Well, I'll read it on your website. And uh, anyway, maybe we'll have a, a chat sometime in the future. But take care of yourself. Stay healthy. Malcolm and listeners, thank you all so much for having me on board. Look after yourselves. You also stay healthy, and I look forward to all future podcasts. Thank you. All right, man. Take care, buddy. See ya. Bye-bye. Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, malcolmjteasdale.com for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.